0: We are back and ready to speak about monsters. Who's ready for the next monster? (laughs) Oh, man. Well, hey, today I want to talk about Dracula. Who knows the story of Dracula? (laughs) Whoa. Okay. Uh, Same disclaimer as last week. I see Joe is taking necessary precautions. Dracula was written in 1897. As far as spoilers go, fair game. You've had a century. All right. Uh, So I don't think there'll be as many spoilers in this one today, but still, 1897. So we're going on about a 120-year-old story. And obviously there's many different variations of Dracula. There have been many movies made, many different books that have been written about Dracula. I want to go back to the original by Bram Stoker himself. That's what we'll talk about. Now, uh, if you need an overview, here's the basic plot of Dracula, Uh, it's a story about a vampire named Count Dracula, who decides he wants to change his residence. So he moves from his castle in Transylvania and relocates himself and his dirt and coffins to England. And Dracula is the story about how this move goes for him. Also, Dracula, he, if you don't know already, he survives on blood. (laughs) He drains blood from his victims at night, Because this is when Dracula prowls. So you might want to put your garlic by your windowsill tonight. Uh, This is when he prowls the town. He drains blood from his victims at night, leaving them lifeless. And as he does this, uh, the more times he does this, the more lifeless they become. The more blood and life are drained from them. Eventually, they die or they become a vampire like Dracula themselves. So here's the big overview of what the book of Dracula is about. Now, the question that I want to raise for us this morning, the question that I want to ask then is, how do we protect ourselves from vampires? (laughs) I think that's a great sermon title. Protection from vampires. Now, here is the truth. You possess great power within you. Every single one of you. This is what I believe about you. Within you is great power. And here's another side truth to that. That power can be drained from you. Every single one of you sitting here this morning, you possess power. Adrian's excited. The rest of you, all right, we'll get there. But that power can be drained from you. And let me offer one of my favorite stories about Jesus in Luke chapter 8. As Jesus was on his way, the crowds almost crushed him, and a woman was there who had been subject to bleeding for 12 years, but no one could heal her. She came up behind him and touched the edge of his cloak, and immediately her bleeding stopped. And Jesus asks, who touched me? Who touched my cloak? To which the disciples, Peter, says, "Uh, Master, the people, they're, they're crowding and pressing against you. Like, what do you mean someone touched your cloak? Everyone, like we're, we're in a concert here. We're in a mosh pit. Everyone is all up against each other. What do you, you mean? Like, of course, everyone is touching you. We're all just jammed in here together. And Jesus says, no, 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 no. Someone touched me because I know that power has gone out from me. Jesus lived with this great awareness of the power that he possessed within him. His awareness was so great that when this woman who was sick came up and touched him, he immediately felt healing power leave his body. Now, you read a story like this, you hear about the truth about you having great power, and you read about Jesus' power being drained, and maybe you think this. Well, that's Jesus. That's not me. Because we read these stories about Jesus, and we like these stories. Yeah, this is who we put our trust in. This is someone that we can put our faith in. But me being like Jesus, there's no way I could live like that. There's no way that I could be like, Jesus is the son of God. I could never—he holds immense power. My power is maybe a fraction of what it is that Jesus possesses. But let's go back all the way to the beginning of the Bible. Let's go back to Genesis chapter 1 because every story has to begin in the beginning. God said, when God is doing his act of creation, right in the beginning, God said, let us make mankind in our image. This is after mountains, sun, uh, lakes, the moon, stars, all this has been created, vegetation, everything. And then God says, let's make mankind. There's been animals that have been created already. In our likeness, so what? So that they may rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky, over the livestock and all the wild animals, and over all the creatures that move along the ground. And so God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. And then God blessed them. We talked about this last week. Original blessing. Your life. You're blessed. You're blessed. God blessed them. This is who you are. This original blessing that has been gifted over you by God. And God says this, I think to the first humans, but this is also what God is saying to us today in our lives. It's a story that took place a long, long time ago, but it's a story that's also taking place today. You are blessed. Now be fruitful. And increase in number, fill the earth and subdue it. Rule over the fish in the sea, the birds in the sky, and over every living creature that moves on the ground. You possess great power. And this power that you have been given, the power we could say that you have been blessed with from birth, it's in order to rule. It's in order to love. It's a power that you hold within you to heal. As we saw in the story of Jesus healing, you also have power to heal. The brokenness that we see around us, uh, the places that are in desperate need of healing in our world, the people around you that are in need of healing, you possess power to bring healing to the lives of others. You have power to create life, be fruitful, increase in number. You have been given power, why? To lead this creation forward in wholeness and in goodness. You're blessed. You have great power. God-given power within you to lead things forward in wholeness and goodness. So when we see Jesus, when we read the stories of Jesus, we find that Jesus reveals our true humanity. If we want to know, well, what does it mean to be fully human? What does it mean to be fully me? Well, we look at Jesus because Jesus models this life for us. Jesus shows us how to be fully human. So we read a story about Jesus going through the crowds and someone touches him and healing power flows from him. Well, the, the truth is, is you have power as well within you to bring healing, which means... That you must protect your power. You must protect the God given power that you possess within you. And like Jesus, you are to be mindful, to be ever aware of when and how your power is being drained. You must live with this awareness, like Jesus, who? Who I, I felt something flow from me. Have you ever been there before in life? You're having a conversation, you walk away, and you feel depleted? Or, or maybe you're having a conversation, the opposite is true. You actually feel fill, full of life because you've been talking with someone, you walk away, and you're like, man, that person just really filled me with, I'm ready to go conquer the world. You ever had that experience before? You talk with someone, you're like, I'm ready to go tackle all the monsters and all the Draculas in the world. Yeah, you must live with this awareness of when and how your power is being drained. Otherwise, you will become a vampire, just like Dracula. This is the story of Dracula. Dracula goes around at night, and if you are not properly protected, you will become a vampire, just like Dracula. So the first way to protect yourself from vampires is to take the vampire test. And I have a video for us, I'm gonna queue up here. Uh, Now I came across the vampire test, oh goodness, like five or six years ago from author uh, Austin Cleon. He's an artist, he's an author, he wrote a book called Steal Like an Artist, which is an absolutely brilliant book uh, if you need a new book to read here, if you're not reading monster books for October. In the book he mentions this thing called the vampire test And I'm going to let him explain the vampire test to you this morning.
1: The painter Pablo Picasso had a way of sucking all the energy out of the people he met. Some people even thought he was a vampire. His granddaughter Marina Picasso claimed that he squeezed everyone he met like a tube of oil paint. Here's how it usually went down. You'd go do something fun with Picasso, like spend a day at the beach. And at the end of it, you were a nervous, exhausted wreck. But not Picasso, Picasso would sneak off to his studio and work all night off your energy. Most people put up with this because they got to hang out with Picasso but not the sculptor Constantine Brancusi. Brancusi grew up in Romania near the Carpathian Mountains, world headquarters of the vampire. He knew a real vampire when he saw one, and he wasn't about to have his energy or his life force sucked out of him. Brancusi practiced what I call the vampire test. It's a simple way to know who you should let in and out of your life. If, after a night of hanging out with someone, you feel full of energy. That person is not a vampire. If after hanging out with someone you feel depleted, that person is a vampire. Vampires cannot be cured. Should you find yourself in the company of a vampire, do what Brancusi did and banish them from your life forever. <laughs>
0: Number one way to protect yourself from vampires, stay away from those who drain your energy. Two questions then for us. First question, who are the vampires in your life? Think about that test. Who are the people that drain energy from you? Who are the people that deplete you? Who are the people that you walk away and, oh, oh, I'm ready for a nap. I need another coffee. I already had my mid afternoon coffee. I need a third. Uh, Who do you need to limit your time around? I'm sure people come to mind right now. Who do you need to limit your time around? Now, this isn't true just about people. This can be true about different activities that we engage in as well. Vampires can take many different forms. The wisdom here is to pay attention to your whole life, your entire life, your entire existence. What are the things that deplete you and what are the things that fill you? And here's a little uh, image from Austin Kleon where he has this little chart. And here's another exercise for you. You can divide it, the piece of paper into two sections. On the one side, what are the activities that excite you? Reading, researching, tinkering, blogging, etc And then what is it that drains you? Email, logistics, administration, small talk. So go and just this week create a list two sides. What fills you? What excites you? And then do more of those things. And then what is it that drains you? Do less of those things. And I get it. You can't just totally cut that list out of your life completely. But maybe there are certain things that you can minimize. Maybe there are some things that you can do a little bit less of. And then you can squeeze more of the things that fill you into your life. First way, first protection from a vampire is take the vampire test, stay away from vampires, and be around people who are not vampires. Now, this is all great advice, but this raises a question for us. And the question is, what do we do about the energy drains that are out of our control? Because you can probably control your time around some people, but what about all the other energy drains that exist in your life. Now, we had this week was an absolute bonkers of a week for us. I don't know any other way of describing it. Uh, More sickness, another ambulance ride to the ER uh, with our daughter. Many of you who have known me for a while, the past three years have been totally uh, like our life has been thrown upside down started with our house blowing up and being out of the house for nine months and finding all sorts of different things that were going on with the house. And then it's just been one sickness after the next. And honestly, those have been tremendous energy drains. Sometimes I sit there and I'm like, what has my life become? (laughs) Like, we'll sit there at the table like, what is our life? (laughs) Like, what is this thing that we're experiencing? Because sometimes it doesn't feel like life and there're certain things that y- you can get away from but then there are the other things that you you just you, you can't escape from them they're there there's nothing you can do about them they drain energy from you and it's not like you can just avoid them and move to some island and get a boat and give island tours which sounds appealing at the time but you, it doesn't work that way <laughs> maybe in the movies uh, but it doesn't work that way so Here's what I have discovered. And I want to give you four more ways to protect yourself from vampires, things that I have been discovering in my life over the past four or three years. Here's a preface it with this. There's a question that will drain more energy out of you than is already being drained from you. And here's the question that you should never ask. Why? This question will drain whatever energy is left in your tank— it will just remove the rest of it. If you're at a quarter of a tank and you start asking, why is this happening to me? Well, all of a sudden the light's going to go on and then you're going to be stuck on the side of the road. Asking the question why is the number one way to continue draining your energy. So for us over the past three years, I've asked why. We've asked why. Unfortunately, it doesn't get me anywhere, but we've wondered, well, is there a spiritual reason is there something spiritual that's going on here? Something unseen that we can feel? Well, you can't really see it. Uh, we've asked, well, could any of this have been avoided? Could we have made a different decision? And if we had made a decision five years ago differently, well, then all these other things that have happened, well, maybe we wouldn't be in the position where we are Today you keep asking why, and it's like this downward spiral, because the truth is you're never going to come up with an answer. Uh, here's my favorite quote from Dracula. I read this quote. I starred the page, flapped it. It's like, oh, this has to find its way into the sermon. They at this point in the story, Van Helsing, the great vampire slayer, he's trying to explain to one of his uh, his protege. About vampires. And this guy is not quite buying everything that's happening. So here's the conversation that he has with him You are a clever man, friend John. You reason well. Your wit is bold, but you are too prejudiced. You do not let your eyes see nor your ears hear. And that which is outside your daily life is not of account to you. Do you not think that there are things which you cannot understand? And yet which are? That some people see things that others cannot. Ah, it is the fault of our science that wants to explain it all. We're human. We want an explanation for everything. We want to know why. Why did this happen? Why am I going through this? Why does it feel like one blow after the next? Yeah, there's just some things that you will never come to an understanding of. And asking why will just keep leaving you fatigued and lifeless. So here's how Genesis explains this question of why. Genesis chapter 1. Again, everything starts in the beginning. God said, Let the water under the sky be gathered to one place. Let dry ground appear. And it was so. God called the dry ground land, and the gathered waters he called seas. And God saw that it was good. In the Hebrew worldview, the sea was a place of untamed chaos. The sea Was the place where the monsters resided. The Dracula's of the world. The Leviathan. The sea was the place where you did not want to go because the waters were a place of fear. This is why the story of Jonah is such a mind blowing story because Jonah, a good Jewish man, he runs to the sea the place that you are not supposed to run to because that's where the monsters lie. So right in the beginning of the Bible, the Bible acknowledges, yeah, you know what? In this world, there's darkness. In this world, there's death. Uh, There's despair. There are these forces that exist in opposition to the goodness and the wholeness that God desires for your life, and for all creation. And rather than just wiping it out completely for some unknown reason, in the beginning of Genesis, we're told, yeah, the sea is there, but it's contained. But yet you can still experience the sea and its effects in your life. I put it this way. There are forces, spirits, powers, events that act in opposition to the goodness and wholeness God desires for your life and all creation. This is what we are told right from the beginning of Genesis. And notice, Genesis does not try to explain this. It says this is simply how it is. Trying to explain it, trying to rationalize it, trying to understand why this is will just drain your energy and leave you sitting at night on the couch, unable to get up and do your work in the world, to unleash your power, your God-given power that you have been blessed with to heal and to bring love and to create and to lead things into goodness and wholeness. Here are four ways to protect yourselves from the things that are out of your control the things that lead you into despair, the things that steal your energy. And these are what I have discovered, and these are also what Van Helsing and his vampire-slaying crew have discovered in Dracula. So here is the first way to protect yourself. You band together with your vampire slayers. And we have been talking about this over the past couple of weeks, so I don't want to get into this too much because we've been talking about community and having others in your life. Here are the vampire slayers in Dracula. Who's your band of vampire slayers? The people that you're going to go out and fight the monsters with. Now, the first way to protect yourself, you get your people around you. Here's the second way. You don't give in to darkness. So you don't fight evil with evil. Here's another one of my favorite quotes from Dracula, which, okay, Frankenstein loved the book. I thought, how could Dracula ever top Frankenstein? oh my goodness, I could not put Dracula down. I mentioned we went on an ambulance ride, me and Kit this week. I took Dracula with me on the ambulance. (laughs) I was like, I'm going to be here a while, let me bring my book. (laughs) Some of the doctors were commenting, like, look at what he's reading. Now, uh, here is Jonathan Harker, and he's talking to his wife, who has been poisoned by the vampire, and he is upset. Because his wife, the love of his life, has been poisoned by Dracula, and he does not know what the outcome is going to be. And so he is mad, and rightly so, and he wants to defeat Dracula. Here's what he says. May God give him into my hand just for long enough to destroy the earthly life of him, which we are aiming at. If beyond it I could send his soul forever and ever to burning hell, I would do it. And how does his wife respond to this outburst of anger. Oh, hush. Hush in the name of the good God. Don't say such things, Jonathan, my husband, or you will crush me with fear and horror. Just think, my dear, I have been thinking this all long, long day of it, that perhaps, someday, I too may need such pity. And that some other like you, and with equal cause for anger, may deny it to me. (sighs) He has every right to be angry. Dracula has taken his wife from him, maybe forever. He doesn't know. He wants to get even. He wants revenge, vengeance. And what does his wife tell him? Hush. Hush. That's not how we'll defeat Dracula. It's not how we're going to defeat the evil in the world. It's not how we'll defeat darkness. That way of living, that rage, it's going to take you someplace that you don't want to go. And you're going to be unable to show pity, goodness to other people who are in need of healing. Well, one day I may need healing. And if you keep going in that direction, if you let your rage overcome you, your anger overtake you, you're not going to be able to offer it to me. The German philosopher Nietzsche, he has this brilliant quote, beware that when fighting monsters, you yourself do not become a monster. (sighs) Yeah, beware when you fight monsters that you yourself don't become one as well. How do you protect yourself from vampires? You do everything possible to keep your heart soft. You don't give in to the rage. You don't allow your desire for vengeance to wash over you, to get even. That just takes you in a direction that you really don't want to go. It turns you into a different person, someone unable to experience and offer love to others. I love it. Jesus, when he's brought before the authorities, he's like, you know what? I could summon all the armies in the world. I could destroy all of you. I got the power to do it. But yet, instead of destroying those who wish him harm, what does Jesus do? He goes to the cross. Sacrifices his life. It's an act of love. Yeah, violence will never defeat violence. This is what Jesus shows us. Love is the only thing that can defeat violence, evil, and darkness. So how do you fight vampires? You keep your heart soft. You don't give in to the rage. Yeah, you find others that are going to help you walk the path of love. And then here's the third way you trust the power of the cross. Great picture from the movie Dracula. (laughs) When these vampire slayers were protecting themselves against Dracula, what did they arm themselves with? Crucifix. A cross. Garlic. You know, they had a, a garlic necklace, some of them. Put garlic all around the windows, but they also carried a cross with them. Because like you see here... Dracula was terrified of the cross. How do you defeat the vampires? You trust the power of the cross. See, we still live in a world with the sea. As we see in Genesis, the sea, it's contained, it's still there. It hasn't been eradicated, which means that we still live in a world where death and sickness and darkness and evil exist. Why that's the case, I don't know. I don't know. No one knows. No one will ever give you a good explanation for it. If someone tells you they have the five reasons why, run the other way. Yeah, we live in a world where the sea is simply a reality. And yet, after the cross, after the death and resurrection of Jesus, there were some Followers of Jesus who started putting into words what they had experienced through Jesus. What they had come to believe after experiencing the death and the resurrection of Jesus. In Colossians, here's how one person, the Apostle Paul, describes what happened because of Jesus. Having disarmed the powers and authorities, he, Jesus, made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them by the cross. This is what happened. At the cross, death and darkness and sickness, disease, despair, they were all overcome. But yet we live in this world which is like the in-between, where they've been overcome through the power of Jesus, but yet they are still a reality. And so these first followers of Jesus, they saw where God was leading the world. They saw in Jesus what God was doing, and they decided to trust That truth. If you look at the Bible, what you have is in the beginning, you have two chapters where everything is perfect. Everything is pristine. Everything is the way in which it's supposed to be. Then you have a chapter at the end where everything is perfect. So in between, which is the majority of the Bible, I mean, think about it, unless you had three pages of the Bible, uh, the Bible is a little bit bigger than three pages. So the whole in between is how do we live in a world where sin, death, despair, and evil are a reality? We've had this beginning where everything is whole and we see where God is taking this and yet all these authors, these followers of Jesus, people who place their faith in God, they're trying to make sense of, well, how do we live in a world where evil still exists? How do we live in a world where there is a good God who's over all things, who created all things, but yet there is still the reality of evil here? And so for the first followers of Jesus, they decided that they would no matter what they saw, no matter what they experienced, and they had undergone some pretty severe persecution, they were still willing to trust that in the end, the cross would overcome. That what had happened through Jesus was true, and that God was leading us in that direction. Which leads to our fourth point. The fourth way to defeat vampires is you keep hope alive. You keep hope alive in your heart. Uh, Another quote from Dracula. It's really wonderful how much resilience there is in human nature. I love it. There would be these late night meetings where these vampire slayers would get together and they would plot, they would plan how they were going to defeat Dracula. They would talk about the events of the day. And at night, there would be this, this heaviness upon them. You could read it in their journal entries. That's how Dracula is all put together. It's a whole string of journal entries. And you could just hear the heaviness in them, the despair. And they would go to bed at night, but then in the morning they would awake. And it was as if there was this new energy within them. And here's what's happening here. It's really wonderful how much resilience there is in human nature. Let any obstructing cause, no matter what, be removed in any way, even by death, we fly back to first principles of hope and enjoyment. Yeah, how do you defeat vampires? You keep hope alive in your heart. I mentioned Revelation 21 paints a picture when things will be restored. Maybe my favorite verse in the Bible, right at the end of the Bible, after all the despair that we've seen, after everything that we've encountered, I saw a new heaven and a new earth for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away and there was no longer any sea. That's hope. That's hope. I saw something new emerging and in this new creation that God is birthing, this new creation that's springing forth through Jesus And through the cross, the sea isn't there. The darkness, the monsters, they're no longer there. This was the hope that the first Christians lived with. And it's the hope that will carry us through all the darkness that we face. And it's there. You can't avoid it. It's there. So you band together with your vampire slayers. You don't fight darkness with your own darkness. You trust the power of the cross and you keep hope burning in your heart. That's how you get through all the vampires that you can't stay away from. And they'll be there. It's inevitable. It's a part of the story. It's a part of our humanity. But the vampires don't win in the end. And that's the hope that we hold on to.